Everybody, JJ Cooper, Kyle Glazer here. We're going to do a Baseball America trade deadline preview podcast. We've already had a couple of trades, but but obviously, as we record this on Friday afternoon for me, morning for Kyle on the West Coast, this is we're still getting ready for the meat uh, of the trade deadline season. As we get ready, trade deadline next Tuesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. on the West Coast, 5 p.m. if you're in the Central Time Zone. It's coming. It's near. It's exciting if you love if you love what we love, which is if you love the big leagues, if you love prospects, it's a great time of year. Kyle, the thing that does stand out, though, as we head into another busy trade deadline is I sure feel like that this is a year where as you survey the landscape, it's sure easy to find, oh, this is what this team could use as a buyer. This is what this team could use. This is what this team could use. But it's sure a lot tougher to find here's who the sellers are and here's here's the fine wares that they have to sell at, at the deadline. Is is that the theme of the 2023 trade deadline? Absolutely. As we sit here today, 20 teams are within five games of a playoff spot still. Two-thirds of the league is theoretically still in playoff contention. We're going to have a lot of teams taking this down to the wire and making a decision whether to buy or sell, depending on what happens this weekend, these Friday, Saturday, Sunday series, and maybe even what happens these Monday games. There's still some teams that have to make a decision that are on the cusp, and it's really fluid. To me, the team that most represents this is the Cubs. If you looked at this 10 days ago, the Cubs were primed to sell, and all of a sudden they've won eight of nine, they're back at 500, they're right back in, not just the NL Central race, the NL Wild Card race. They're actually closer to a wild card spot than they are first place in the Central. And it completely shifts the trade deadline because I think you can argue that Marcus Stroman and Cody Bellinger were arguably the two best players on the block. Marcus Stroman, now the best pitcher available given the Lucas Giolito trade. And Cody Bellinger, with the production he's had, uh, the defense he provides in center field, it's really been a bounce back year when he's been healthy. You can argue he was the most impactful position player that could have been moved. All of a sudden, they might not even be on the market anymore, and they probably won't be, especially if the Cubs keep this up. So the trade deadline is still shifting you know, constantly. Who's a buyer? Who's a seller? And as we sit here, again, two-thirds of the league is within five games of a playoff spot. It's not even clear there's, there's that many true sellers. Again, there aren't that many right now, and – that might be still true three or four days from now. It's going to be really, really fascinating to see what happens this weekend and just how down to the wire this goes. And and the other thing about that, as I look at it, when you survey the landscape and you look at the teams that are absolutely positively sellers, if you look at an Oakland, if you look at a Kansas City, if you look at a Washington, a lot of those teams don't have a whole lot to sell, right? Like if you're a Kansas City, yeah, you'll sell Brad Keller. If someone wants Brad Keller... You can have Brad Keller, but you're not going to get much of anything for him. And there's not a whole lot of buyers for that. If you're Oakland, they already basically traded away almost everything that wasn't nailed down before the season began. So have these teams that are clear sellers, but it, it's, it looks picked over already, doesn't it? 
Yes. You look at the Nationals. Jamer Candelario is a, a perfectly nice third baseman. He's had a really good year, and, and he could probably help someone, but no one would mistake him for a star franchise-altering kind of acquisition. Talk about the Royals. Scott Barlow is a, a really good right-handed reliever. A lot of teams could use him, and he'd be helpful. But again, he doesn't exactly rise to the level of, uh, of a Josh Hader, which we saw last year. Uh, A's, as you mentioned, uh, there's just not a whole lot there to trade. I mean, if someone really wants Tony Kemp as a veteran utility man, they can have Tony Kemp. But again, it's not like there's an impact player waiting there. And this is where what happens this weekend and, and how some things transpire is really going to completely alter the landscape. We'll talk about the Padres a little bit later. But you look at them right now, they're one of the teams that is more than five games out of a playoff spot, both in the division and the wild card race. And they have some stars, but they really do not want to sell. They have gone all in on this season. They are going to hold out to the last possible second. They just dropped a home series to the Pirates. Depending on what happens this weekend against the Rangers, the Rangers come into town and wipe the floor with the Padres, which is very, very possible. All of a sudden, the Padres are 49 and 57, seven and a half, eight games back of a wild card spot. At that point, maybe we do see Blake Snell move. Maybe we do see Josh Hader move. But if the Padres go in and sweep the Rangers and they say, wow, we're 52 and 54. We've got some momentum on our side. We just took down a first place team. We're going to hold and maybe even buy a little bit. So, so much of this is still so fluid that it's hard to say anything definitive right now. I, I feel confident saying that we will see some of those minor players move. The Jamer Candelarios, the Scott Barlows. We will see the Cardinals move some of their guys. We, you know, I, I feel pretty confident saying that Jack Flaherty and Jordan Montgomery will attract a lot of trade interest, Ryan Helsley, Jordan Hicks, maybe, but do they take it a step further and trade Nolan Arenado to the Dodgers? Do they shop Paul Goldschmidt? Similar with the Mets. We've already seen them trade David Roberts and Eduardo Escobar. Some of their, you know, again, an infielder, their closer, but do they trade a Max Scherzer or a Justin Verlander? The degree in which even the known sellers are going to trade is still cloudy. So uh, there's a lot of unknowns here. And I, I really do think a lot of this isn't going to be decided until the final 24 hours. I, I also think with that, we obviously saw like right now, and again, obviously the trade deadline's not here, but the way the, the wild cards and all work, if you're at 500 or better, I understand completely why you might want to be in because you're at 500. If you can just have a, a nice little hot streak at some point, it, it's not crazy to think that 86, 85, 86, 87 wins will get you into the playoffs potentially. And that's where I have trouble with the Padres is, is the Padres, even if they have a big weekend against Texas this weekend, and I get it. They're, I think Ken Rosenthal wrote their pot committed, right? Which I get it. Like they've already put so much in that it's hard for them to, to say, no, we're out of this. But there, there are, you know, there, there may be 10 teams coming out of this weekend who are ahead of them in the National League. It's one thing to say you're going to be, you know, we're going to be better than this team and this team. It's another to say you're going to be better than this team, this team, this team, this team, this team, this team, which is kind of what the Padres are looking at. But the other thing along those lines, speaking of teams who've gotten hot, speaking of teams who have kind of really kind of reshaped their season since the All-Star break, the the guy that we've all been speculating and wondering who's going to get moved, Joey Otani, obviously the Angels instead, to their credit, went out and were aggressive early 
And I think to uh, you made this point, Kyle, to their credit, they went out and were aggressive, which makes it easier for them to feel comfortable about not trading away their stars because they're now a better team. They're, they're getting a couple of extra W's potentially out of this by making this move a little earlier. Yeah, so first and foremost, from the outset, the only chance the Angels were ever going to trade Shohei Otani was if they were so far out of the playoff picture at the deadline, they had no reasonable hope of making it. Being three, four games out of a playoff spot did not cross that threshold. They were four games out when they acquired Giolito and Lopez. They're now three games out as you sit here today. And I wrote about this this past Sunday. They had come off a sweep of the Yankees. They had taken a series from the Pirates. They were going into a manageable series against the Tigers, which they just swept. It was very clear at that point the choice was to keep Shohei Otani. And anyone who was here on the ground and understands the Angels and covers this team like I do, like Jeff Fletcher does, like Rhett Bollinger does, understood that there was no way this was going to happen unless there was zero chance. And it was interesting hearing people on the opposite coast talking about how the Angels should trade Shohei Otani seemingly without paying attention to the standings and where the Angels were. They slumped into the All-Star break. They lost 11 of 15, had some bad injuries. And after they dropped 2 of 3 to the Astros, things definitely looked dire. But the week they just had, they have turned it around. Again, they swept the Yankees, took 2 or 3 from the Pirates. Now they've just swept the Tigers. They're going into Toronto now, three games back of the Blue Jays. If they sweep this series, they could very well be in playoff position with 24 hours to go until the trade deadline. And to your point, you know, you and I had talked about this. The Angels striking early sets them up in better position to go into Toronto and potentially record a sweep or win the series. You feel much better about your chances with Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez on your roster now doing that than if you had held out to the last possible minute. In terms of the Angels and this deal, they absolutely did the right thing. There are a lot of people saying the Angels should trade Otani. They should, you know, they should have done this X, Y, Z. And the answer is no, they shouldn't have. This is the final year they were guaranteed to have a chance to get to the postseason with Shohei Otani on their roster. If they were close, you take that shot. And they were close. Again, totally different dynamic. If they were 10 games out, eight games out, we'd be having a very different conversation. But they're not. And as I wrote, they've treaded water despite sustaining a lot of injuries. They've had some really, really poor defensive play. Their bullpen has not been very good, and their starting rotation has underperformed by a lot of measures. And yet here they were, still in contention. It's not hard to see a path here where if you're the Angels, you say, we get Mike Trout back in August. We get Anthony Rendon back in August. We get Logan O'Hoppy back in August. We feel like our best team is not on the field right now, and we have upside. When those guys get healthy, we have a chance to go on a run. So let's load up. Let's keep our best player. I think any team, if you're three games back with a playoff spot and you trade your best player, you made a horrendous mistake. That's true no matter who you are. It's especially true when you're the Angels and it's Shohei Otani. They did the right thing keeping him, and they especially did the right thing jumping the market and getting ahead of the game and going and making this trade now as opposed to waiting till August 1st. And I think also along those lines, as you noted, this is a team that rightfully can say, if we're in the range going into August, we're they're getting you, you get back Mike Trout. Yeah. Like getting Mike Trout back <laughs> might make a big impact. Logan O'Hoppy, Logan O'Hoppy pre-injury looked like 
one of the better young, better catchers, not to say young, one of the better catchers in the American League. I I hope Anthony Rendon can come back at some close to full speed. I think that one's one where it's a little bit more of you can't count on it. Average, that's for sure. You, yeah. you can't count on that. Just one be league sure. average. <laughs> but 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 that said, the other part of this is if they make it in, I will tell you right now, that is not a team that you're like, all right, let's go face the Angels in a wild card series. Because obviously you have the same guy is both the best hitter in the American League and one of the best pitchers to front the rotation. And here we go in a short series. That's a big advantage. Absolutely. And I think in terms of this trade, the Angels did give up a lot in the sense that Edgar Caro was a, a very promising young catcher, 20-year-old switch hitting catcher, uh, exceptional strikes on discipline, had more walks and strikeouts at AA Rocket City this year. Good feel for the barrel, strong hands, has a chance to grow into power. Defense needs work. But he was always going to be the Angels' best trade piece because Logan Ohapi is a better defensive catcher. He's a certainly has more power. And you can argue he's a comparable quality hitter, maybe a tick below, but he's there now. He's really, really good. He was going to be the Angels' catcher. So Edgar Carroll was always going to be the number one trade piece. And Kai Bush is a, a really nice, solid left-handed pitching prospect. 6'6", four pitches, throws strikes, has an out pitch in the slider, should be a back the rotation member. And, and in one sense, yeah, that's a lot to trade for two rentals and Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez. But I don't think it's a bad move and I don't think it's an overpay because I go back to, and again, you know, you and I, JJ, especially live in this world with prospects and people overvaluing them all the time. The point of the game is to win. It's not to maximize trade value. It's not to build a number one farm system. Those are methods to help you potentially win. But the overall point is to win. And if you have an opportunity to win, you should take it. And for the Angels, again, it goes back to this is a team that is tied for the longest active playoff drought in Major League Baseball. This is a team that has the longest stretch of consecutive losing seasons in Major League Baseball. The Angels' greatest embarrassment, as I wrote in my column on Sunday, would not be, oh, we failed to get maximum trade value for Shohei Otani. It would be, we never made the playoffs while having Shohei Otani and Mike Trout on the roster together. They have a shot to do it. And I think it was really, really smart that they not only said, okay, we're keeping Otani, but we're going to be aggressive. We're going all in. We're going to invest in making this happen. It would have been one thing if they said, we're going to keep Shohei Otani and just try to ride it out with the team they had, or maybe, you know, add a, a bullpen arm, you know, make, make minor adjustments. They went big and that's important. I think once you make this, this decision, you have to invest fully in it. And so far they did that. I, I thought the Lucas G little Ronaldo Lopez trade, even though they traded, two good young prospects for two rentals was the right move for them to make. I think it was a smart trade. It helped this team on two fronts where they needed it. Um, I, I think Perry Manassian and, and the Angels front office staff deserve a round of applause here. And maybe that makes me in the minority, but I think you have to understand this market. You have to understand this team and what making the postseason means to the Angels as a franchise, given this is their last guaranteed year with Shohei Otani. Even if he lives in free agency, I, I think there's still a very likely chance that happens. This isn't about having a shot to keep him. This is about making the postseason while you have him, making sure you do that at least once. That is the priority, and it should be. And let's be clear. The long-term outlook for this Angels team is quite poor. Like, and that's not going to change whether you trade Otani or not. Like, this is a team that has some young talent. I don't want to make it sound like they don't. We just mentioned Ohapi, for example. I mean, I... 
I still have some hope for Joe Adele and guys like that. I am, I am probably uh, one of the champions of the Trey Cabbage, uh, you know, fan club. And and there are Zach guys like Neto's that. Been fantastic at shortstop. Zach well. Neto is great. Fantastic. That is a that's a guy to build around for years. But that said, they have. It's always been a star based team, and now we are getting to the point where some of those stars are older and more injury prone. Like we hope that we're going to see years more of healthy, incredibly productive Mike Trout, but we've seen a lot more injuries in recent years. And this is the team that farm system wise, it's not great. Like it's not like where you're looking at and saying, Oh, don't worry. There's another wave that'll be here next year. No, they've brought most of those guys up. They've been aggressive and I give them credit. Like, I give them utter credit that bringing up Zach Neto, sending Zach Neto to double A last year right away. And that kind of laid the foundation for him to take over as their shortstop early this season. Kudos, credit. But that said, this is a team that when you look at it and say, what's their outlook for 2025? Barring spending a lot of money, it, it doesn't look all that great, does it? No, and that's why, again, this is where you go all in. Shohei Otani, if he leaves, and he probably will leave, you're you're going to be set back no matter what happens. And this is not an organization that has the young talent necessarily to just bring everyone up and plug and play and we'll be competitive again. This is your shot. Take it. Go for it. Be aggressive. And I thought they did that. They did a really nice job and going and getting, you know, a lot of the focus is on Lucas Giolito, and it should be. He's was arguably the best starting pitcher available on the market. Now, he has not been Cy Young vote caliber Lucas Giolito like we saw in 2019-2021. Last year was rough, but he's been better this year. Um, and I think it's not a stretch to say getting him in front of a more cromulent defense than the White Sox's defense. Now, the Angels' defense is not great, but the White Sox defense yeah, I, is I love you said cromulent. Good. Not good defense. You said cromulent. Yeah. No, I mean, the White Sox defense is, is atrocious. There's no way around it. I think it's reasonable to expect that will help him. But Ronaldo Lopez is a big part of this too. The Angels bullpen has been a real, real problem spot for a long time. Getting Carlos Estevez and Matt Moore has been helpful. They've been fine the eighth and the ninth with those two, but they have really struggled in the middle innings. Ronaldo Lopez's overall numbers are inflated by a really bad start. Going back to May 14th, he has a 1.75 ERA. He throws gas. He has been one of the best setup men in baseball for the last two months, two months and a week. Now you bring him in and now you have a pretty good back of the bullpen. That's seven, eight, nine. You can go Lopez, Moore, Estevez. That significantly bolsters your team as well. So I, I think the Angels, if they had just traded Caro and Bush for Giolito, the deal would have made sense. But I, I think Ronaldo Lopez should not be overlooked in this. Again, the Angels really, really improved two areas they desperately needed to improve. Their offense is scoring plenty of runs. I, I don't know if teams are realizing this and, and people are realizing this. I wrote about it. Um, in my column Sunday, since the All-Star break, they were averaging the most runs per game of any team in the American League and hit the most home runs of any team in the major leagues. So their offense is fine, but they needed a two-pronged approach to attack their pitching staff, both the rotation and the bullpen, and they did it. Again, this was a good trade. It was a timely trade to get these guys going into the Toronto series, and it made the Angels better. And, and I have to say, Shohei Otani looked... Uh, a little bit extra jazzed yesterday with uh, with those two throwing his first career shutout, a one-hitter against the Tigers, coming out and hitting two more bombs. He'd actually been struggling a little bit um, at the plate. He'd, he'd been striking out a little more slumping. 
the blister issues on his fingers. His last few outings hadn't gone great. Um, as Alden Gonzalez at ESPN tweeted, the Angels unlocked God mode in Otani. And it certainly looked like it yesterday. He, he definitely had a little extra juice in him. And uh, it was good all around to see. The other moves we've seen so far, I would largely describe as additions by subtractions. Like, hey, we'll take this guy off your hands if you'll take this guy off our hands. We've had, uh, I think the probably the best, ex- biggest example of that would be the Dodgers-Guardians move where we saw Ahmed Rosario go to the Dodgers and Noah Syndergaard go to the Guardians. But we've also had the, the the Marlins who were aggressive last night. You know, we saw them basically add David Robertson in one of, hey, kudos to the Marlins who are, who are a team who obviously should be in because they are right in the middle of this. They went out, they were aggressive early in getting one of the best guys out there, but they had previously swapped Dylan Floro for Jorge Lopez from the Twins, which... I would describe that as, okay, I give credit to the Twins. You lost that trade last year. You lost it badly. But I do appreciate that you're like, we're not going to keep Jorge Lopez around just to make it look like we're going to you know, find the, the, the key to unlock that. They swap him. The Marlins obviously hope that a change of scenery will help Lopez. The Twins obviously hope a change of scenery will have Floro. But I even look more at it. That Dodgers Guardians deal, that's basically the Guardians clearing a spot for a better player to replace Ahmed Rosario. And that's the Dodgers saying, well, we don't really have room for Noah Syndergaard. It's kind of one of those, maybe this helped both teams because they just don't have the roster spot taken. I mean, it, it's a change of scenery type of play. So, first and foremost, with Noah Syndergaard, he had just been bad with the Dodgers. There's no way around it. Um, goes to the Guardians now who have had some starting pitching injuries. Shane Bieber's out. They could use an extra rotation or maybe the Guardians can fix them. The Guardians are one of the best organizations in baseball. Again, change of scenery. Um, maybe it helps them. Now, Ahmed Rosario is one of the worst defensive shortstops in baseball. You could argue is the worst defensive shortstop in baseball. Um, but he's shown some ability with the bat. It's been not as great this year. But the one thing he can do is he can hit lefties. And the Dodgers needed right-handed bats who could handle left-handed hitters. Uh, they acquired Kike Hernandez, brought him back from the Red Sox a few days earlier. They went out and got Ahmed Rosario. I wrote about it in the Hernandez trade write-up. The Dodgers ranked 29th in the majors, batting average against lefties. Their OPS was higher because they had hit some bombs, but on a consistent at-bat to at-bat basis, they were not very good against lefties. They needed help there. So bringing in Rosario, bringing in Hernandez, guys who have some versatility, have some experience in the middle infield and the outfield, and can hit lefties, that kind of fits their vibe, and it fits what they needed. Um, also, the fact that both can play shortstop, although neither are very good at it, they can do it. You know, the idea is you make potentially Rosario your starter, and then have Miguel Rojas be the defensive replacement later in innings. That's a better alignment in terms of okay, you get Rosario's bat early than trying to live with Miguel Rojas's bat for nine innings every day. So, I get it from the Dodgers' perspective. You know, I get it from the Guardians' perspective, moving Rosario and, and maybe taking a flyer and saying, let's see if we can fix Syndergaard. We need the rotation arm. And in terms of the Marlins deal, I, I like what the Marlins are doing here. They have two power lefties in their bullpen with Tanner Scott and A.J. Puck. Now they've complemented them with two righties with closer experience, Jorge Lopez and David Robertson. The Marlins have a pretty good pitching staff, and, and now their bullpen, they've got some weapons. It, it is interesting to see kind of what else maybe the Marlins do because they are a team, again, when we talk about them, kudos that they're where they are. I didn't see them being where they are so far this year, but on top of that, they are a team, when you look at the pitching that they have, 
again, if they get to the playoffs, they could be a little sprightly because they have some guys who you'd like, okay, I don't want to face a Sandy Alcantara, you know, Alcantara, the guys like that, you know, like you don't want to face them in a, uh, in, in a series, but to go back to kind of what you were talking about earlier, we still then have this mass of teams. Like you look at the Cubs and you say, okay, I can see like, what I would describe it as the teams who are in it and might look to add, but are kind of halfway. Like they're they're I do think that there are times where you're both asking and listening at the same time. And are there like are are the Cubs a team like that? Are the Padres a team like that? Are the Mariners a team like that? Where it's like we're going to make a move, we will be willing to listen to moves but it, it could be like we're going to add and subtract at the same time to look both for this year and the future. This Cubs team, the situation they're in, reminds me a lot of the Braves in 2021. Now that is not me saying the Cubs are going to go in a World Series. I don't believe they're a World Series caliber team. But they're hovering around 500, and the two teams in front of them are very, very flawed. The Brewers do not have anywhere near enough bats. We'll talk about this later, but their offense is not anywhere near playoff caliber. If they get there, they're going to get white, you know, swept out of the playoffs very, very quickly. The Reds are exciting. They've got all these great young position players, but they really, really, really need starting pitching. And, and their offense is striking out at an alarming rate. And some of those hot early starts have come back down to earth a little bit as pitchers have exploited the holes in those young guys' swings. So if you're the Cubs, you look at it and say, there's two teams in front of us that we feel like are going to tail off or have clear holes the Cubs are only four games back of a wild card spot in the National League right now. They're five and a half back of the Brewers uh, atop the division. So the Cubs are in a situation where they're just close enough and they've been playing well enough to justify it. They've won eight of nine. They're back at 500. Uh, they're playing the Cardinals. They have a chance to climb over 500 for the first time since early May. I think if you're the Cubs right now, you're a little more in buy mode. Um, again, if you get blown away with an offer from Marcus Stroman or Cody Bellinger, you know, the type of here's a four player franchise altering package, you have to listen. But given that Bellinger's a rental and Stroman has an opt out, I don't think they're going to get that. And at that point, it probably makes sense to be a little bit on the buy side. They have a farm system that it's not an exceptional farm system, but they have depth. You go down to, you know, prospect number 17. It's like, hey, yeah, no, this guy's all right. Like there, there's talent here where they can afford to trade some mid-level prospects, maybe go get some rentals who can help them and be successful. Very similar to what the Braves did in 2021. So um, I, I think the Cubs are actually a team that's in a position to buy now with how they've played recently. And again, it's fundamentally altered the trade market because only 10 days ago, you looked at it and said, Marcus Stroman and Cody Bellinger, those are you know probably the two best players available right now. I, I do think with them, you, you are right. The teams ahead of them are flawed. The tricky part about them is, is I think they're relatively flawed as well. Like it's, it's a battle of the flaws. Um, oh, absolutely. The key thing, <laughs> I, the, the key thing to me that I'm going to be interested to see is, is, and there's no, do the Reds get back Hunter Green and, or, and, or, they need them. Like if they're not back, and again, there's no guarantee on either of those right now. They get both of those back. Okay, then they're starting pitching, which has gotten better. You know, like Andrew Abbott's been great. 
Lively's been surprisingly better than I ever would have expected, and and Ashcraft's been better recently. Like that would be maybe enough. If they don't get those guys back, it's it's really hard to see how you kind of hang in unless they can maybe get maybe Connor Phillips can come up and give them again. I'm not talking about give them an Andrew Abbott type performance, but if he could just give them, they've got a decent pen. Obviously, they've got a great lights out closer, but. And then you said the Brewers like this is yeah this is a this is the division where it doesn't feel like you're going to need to get to ninety necessarily uh, to to win it all. But um, but I think but we're going to have to go to break in a minute. Before that, I did want to ask you though because you mentioned them before. What about San Diego? Yeah, look, I mean the the Potters are a team that again they have gone all in on this season and they're going to hold out to the last possible second. But you look at it, they're forty nine and fifty four. They have not had a winning record at any point this season since May 10th. It's been more than two months since they've had a winning record. They're six and a half games back. They've lost home series to the Nationals, to the Royals, to the Pirates. For all the talent and headline moves this team has made, at no point this season have they looked and played like a playoff caliber team. And, you know, the proponents will point to their record in extra innings and one-run games and say, oh, you know, they've just been victims of bad luck. Um, the Padres, uh, just for those who, you know, for reference, they're 0-9 in extra inning games this year. They're 6-17 and in one-run games, and that's partially why their Pythagorean one-loss record is a lot better. But when you drill down and understand and watch this team and, and cover this team as I do frequently, you realize that that's not bad luck. It's a flaw in their construction. This is not a good offense they do not do a good job of manufacturing runs. There's a lot of easy outs in this lineup right now. And that's where you have, hey, they're losing a lot of 3-2 games. That's not bad luck. It's because their offense isn't very good. On top of that, their bullpen is very shallow. Josh Hader is great at the end of games, but they have some real issues getting to him from the starting rotation. And because of that, if you can get this team to extra innings, more often than not, by the time you get to the 10th or the 11th and they're digging into their fifth or sixth pitcher of the game, They've got the worst pitcher on the mound. They're losing games and in extra innings like they are because, frankly, they don't. They run out of arms. The other team, more often than not, has a better pitcher on the mound once you get into the 10th, 11th innings. So the Padres, in order to contend, need so much that it's going to be tough to argue they should be buyers. This is not a team that's one or two players away. They need at least two more bullpen arms. They need probably three new everyday starters in their lineup at center field, DH, and, and they need a first baseman who can hit like a first baseman. Jake Cronenworth is not getting the job done. Right now, this is a team that, again, at no point has looked like a playoff team. They are 10 games back in the division, six and a half games back in the wild card. And the other red flag against them buying is, and this is interesting, I was putting together this research for an article I want to write, A.J. Preller and his staff have done an excellent job in trades as buyers in off-seasons. The Joe Musgrove trade, the Hugh Darvish trade, the Blake Snell trade. You know, even we talked about Jake Cronenworth's struggle. That's still a trade the Padres won. Uh, Hunter Renfro and Xavier Edwards for Tommy Fram and Jake Cronenworth. Their track record as buyers at the deadline is actually pretty poor. They've done a really bad job at deadline trades if you go back to the ones that have been decided already. You look at the Cal Quantrill, Josh Naylor for Mike Clevenger trade. You look at the Ty France Andres Munoz for Austin Nola trade. You even look at the Jack Sawinski Tukapita Marcano for Adam Frazier trade. It's really, really, really bad. And while they've gotten you know early good returns off of Juan Soto and Josh Hader, those trades are yet to be decided. 
we're going to know in a few years who won or lost those trades. The ones that have been decided where it's very clear, the potters have done a really bad job as buyers in deadline trades. So that's another cautionary tale against them buying. Again, a lot's going to come down to the series against the Rangers. If the Rangers come in this weekend and sweep them, which is very, very, very possible. At that point, I think the Padres are going to have no choice but to at least listen on trading Blake Snell and Josh Hader given their expiring contracts. But what I think they would do would be kind of a Yankee-style reset in 2016. I don't see them trading Juan Soto. It would be more of a let's trade our rentals, get back some guys who can help us soon, and reload for next year. That would be the path. Um, even if they sweep the Rangers this weekend, which I find unlikely given the way they've played, you know, it's going to be tough for them to argue they should buy, but that's the minimum it's going to take. And even then it's very dicey. It, it is dicey. And, but obviously the thing I'll say with this is if you wanted to lay out, if I, if I wanted to give you the optimistic viewpoint on the Padres, the optimistic viewpoint is if the Padres were getting star production from their stars, like, that Jake Cronenworth extension looks terrible. Like I, I, I like Jake Cronenworth, but they've they've signed him through 2030. I know it's not the massive deal, but that's going to that's going to bite for uh, a number of years there. But if Manny Machado, if Xander Bogarts were producing at their normal levels, even if they had that plus what Soto's doing, plus Fernando Tatis Jr., and plus by the way, you know Kim, Hayson Kim has been exceptional. They'd be fine. They haven't, you know, in addition to the, you've got, they have other flaws too, but that's also been the thing. They're not getting star production from their stars and there's no guarantee that they will in the second half of the season. I think there's no question that getting star production from those stars would help, but if you're still giving away more or less three outs through the order every time through, if you still are very, very shallow in starting pitching depth and you still don't have the bullpen depth, and you have some real issues finding a bridge to your closer, it's going to be tough to compete, even if your stars are competing like stars. And that's where, again, if you're the Padres, um, they want to buy, but it's hard to justify buying given where they are and how they've played this season. But, well, we're going to take a look at what teams are the teams that are best positioned to be aggressive. And we'll do that right after this quick break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're back. So, Kyle, as we look at this, we've, we've looked at some of the sellers, but now let's look at the buyers. So, what is the, who are the teams that you look at and say, okay, this is a team who has a reason to be aggressive, but also has the means to be aggressive because everyone can make trades. No, there's no farm system out there that can't go and help their bullpen. There's no farm system out there that can't add a platoon bat. But what are the teams out there that if there are actually players worth really buying at impact type talent, what are the teams that you look at and say, okay, they have both the means and the uh, the, the prospects to go get them? Yeah, first and foremost is the Dodgers. Um, this is the deepest farm system in baseball in terms of you can legitimately go down to 40 or 50 guys and you've got legitimate prospects, position players, and pitchers. And young pitching, as we know, is the most valuable commodity in the game. The Dodgers have that in spades in terms of their pitching prospects. They need veteran starters. They need guys with big league experience who have done it at the highest level. Um, they they had you know a need for a guy like a Lucas Giolito. Obviously, he's an angel now, but... You know, going and getting both Jack Flaherty and Jordan Montgomery from the Cardinals would benefit them. Um, this is a team that needs veteran established starting pitching in the worst way. They could also use another bullpen arm or two. And they have the pieces to go land pretty much anyone they want. To me, the Dodgers are going to be the most fascinating team to watch the deadline this year because this has not been your traditional Dodgers team that just ramrods everyone. This is a much more flawed team, but they're still in first place. They're still winning. They're still a playoff contender. Um, I, I think they're the team that has the most to offer as well in a trade. And the other team is the Orioles. They have so many good young infielders who are close to the majors or ready for a big league shot that are blocked. And they have such an acute need for starting pitching. There are so many possible deals they can line up. For me, the curiosity is going to be how aggressive will they be and will they pull the trigger? See, I I do agree with you. Those are the teams that the one I would say is, is I do think I am more interested. I think that the, that the Orioles have more to offer than the Dodgers. The Dodgers have uh, some of the players that the Dodgers would offer are players who I think are, are a little bit past due on, on their, on their prospect status. Uh, Miguel Vargas, who still could be a very good player, but has struggled, you know, in a reasonably extended uh, trial this year. Michael Bush, who's, you know, almost 26 now, and they haven't felt comfortable giving him a full-time job. Um, a Diego Cartaya, who I, I don't know if we turn around, if if they, they have a great catcher at the big league level, I, I think that he's feeling pressure about whether he is going to be their best catching prospect in the, uh, in, in the not-so-distant future. Whereas I, I do look at, I don't know, I don't think that the Orioles are going to trade a, a, a Jackson holiday, but I look at like what you said, you, you have the, you have the Westbergs, you have the joy Ortizes, you have the Kirstead's, the Colton Cowsers, the same Samuel Basayo would be a fascinating kind of younger guy, but a guy who has in full season baseball, who is very impressive, both strong armed. There's some work to do in the catching, but also big, big, power potential and is a guy who 
might be, I, he's still a year, you know, years away, but he might be kind of surplus because he's a catcher. And we, we know obviously what Baltimore has. I do, I would be surprised. They, they, I do feel like that there is a need for Baltimore to be aggressive. And the reason I say that is, is you could make a pretty compelling argument that the AL is theirs if they make the right, that they may end up right now. You look at the AL East, the most competitive division we thought in the, you know, in baseball coming in, they're the best team in it right now. Tampa's falling apart because of injuries mainly, but Tampa's not as good as them right now. We just saw that the blue Jays aren't as good as them. The Red Sox aren't as good as them. The Yankees aren't as good as them. This is a team that doesn't need a whole lot of moves to maybe be the odds on favorite from the AL a year or maybe two years in advance of where they, we thought they would be maybe being the team that is the best team in the AL. The Orioles have the best record in the American league right now. I don't know how many people realize that this is the team right now playing in the toughest division in baseball that has the best record in the junior circuit. And you're right. There is no clear dominant team in the American league this year. I think the Rangers looked like they could be that team. And I still would probably pick them to represent the A on the world series if I had to pick today, but they've fallen back a little bit. The Orioles have an acute need for starting pitchers who can log innings. One of the concerns with them right now, the rotation is is still in the bottom half of the majors in the RA, but also the innings workload. They have a lot of young starters, Tyler Wells, Kyle Bradish, et cetera, who are going to surpass their career innings, you know, highs by quite a bit. And, and that's going to be a concern of, okay, how are these guys going to hold up? Grayson Rodriguez obviously is a young pitcher who's very, very talented. He's looked a lot better since he came back up, but again, young pitcher innings workload concerns. If you're the Orioles, they also should probably go make a trade for both Jack Flaherty and Jordan Montgomery from the Cardinals. They're, this is a time for the Orioles to be aggressive. And we have seen in the past, they have not been willing to flip that switch from, okay, we're going to go from rebuilding to buying. And the concern with them always is how much is ownership invested financially? What are they willing to take on payroll wise? The Orioles have the prospects to go get the starting pitching they need but they need ownership approval to add payroll. And we need to see the front office be willing to make that move, which we have not seen them flip that switch yet. It's theirs for the taking. And I think that's going to be one of the storylines of this trade deadline is how aggressive are the Orioles? Do they show they are willing to go the extra mile and do what it takes to not just be, oh, cool, we're having a fun season, but hey, we're now the favorites to win the American League pennant because they need moves to do that. And I think it's going to be incumbent on them to be aggressive and be, and actually make them. I, I wanted to tie in with something on that though. I did. Cause I wanted to know, like say this for Baltimore though, like at the deadline last year, they got a lot of criticism. Oh, why are they trading away? Jorge Lopez. Why are they trading away? Trey Mancini. You know what? They won both those trades. Trey Mancini has been a below replacement level player ever since they traded him. Jorge Lopez, we just discussed. Like, if you said Yiner Cano for Jorge Lopez, at this point, that's not even a, a an offer. Like, literally, the Orioles. So, like, I have to say, while I do think that they need to be aggressive, I will also give them the credit that this is an organization that has shown that sometimes their ways of being unconventional still do pay off. And Last year, they were kind of in it, 
And it was the, the thought was, is, oh, why are they, why are they selling when they should be buying? And I, you could argue that maybe they could have been a little better, you know, in the second half, if they'd have bought a little bit, but that said, they're definitely better this year because they Cano is, is great. Povich is now like, and then the guys, the other guys that they got in those trades, a Chase McDermott, a Seth Johnson, a Cade Povich. If they want to be aggressive this year, those are all guys. I know Seth Johnson hasn't really pitched because he's coming back from DJ, but those are all guys who could have value in trades. And this year could be the, the, the currency that could help them add talent this year uh, to, to help them take that next step. There's no question. They have the pieces to do it. Now we need to see if they will do it. And again, I think this year's dynamic is significantly different than last year's where they were three games back. They were kind of on the cusp, but now they're the winningest team in the American League. They're the front runners. It's on them to make the additions necessary to take that next step because they have very, very clear needs for it and they have the ammunition to do it. So let's see if they get it done. Well, speaking of that, the team that they rested that best record from uh, by basically just beating them is the Tampa Bay Rays. And I do feel like with this Rays team, you legitimately have to just look at it and say, okay, I mean, this is a team that is in need of help. And one of the, I don't want to over-dramatize it, but one of the main reasons they're in need of help is, is that I feel like every time I turn around, we get news that another key piece of the Rays rotation. Uh, I think late the, the most recent one is Zach Eflin is, is banged up, is hurt, is going on the IL. I does this team. I, I say this, not, I, I still feel like even if they limp along there, this lineup is going to get them to the postseason. This lineup is, I know they've struggled to some extent lately, but is, is really deep. But that said, if you wanted to single out to me a team just in need of innings for the rotation, it's the Tampa Bay Rays. No question about it. You know, having Tyler Glasnow back certainly helps. Having Shane McClanahan, you know, back healthy helps. Um, but yeah, no, there, there's no way around it. This is a team that also needs starting pitching in the worst way. And JJ, you do their farm system. You know they have the ammunition to go get some of the arms they potentially need if they're willing to pull the trigger. I think to me, the two small market teams we're talking about here, the Rays and the other team being the Brewers, they're two small market teams that are in playoff position, but they have very, very clear needs help-wise. The Brewers need bats. This is a team that they've called up all their in-house reinforcements. Garrett Mitchell came up, got hurt. Joey Weimer's up in the majors right now. Sal Frelick's up in the majors right now. Bryce Trang's up in the majors right now. Uh, Jackson Churro's not ready. So uh, all the in-house reinforcements they were counting on, they're there right now. And their offense still isn't good enough. Christian Yelich has quietly had a bounce back year. Even with that, their offense still isn't good enough. They need to make moves to bolster this offense to hold on in the central and then potentially actually do something in the postseason. Just as the Rays really do need to add guys who can log innings and get them through the rest of the season and into the playoffs. If the Rays get into the playoffs and you can line up, you know, McClanahan, Glassnow, and and whoever happens to be healthy, number three. Whoever's still healthy. (laughs) Right. You'll you'll be in pretty decent shape. And and that's where for the Rays, what's nice is they don't need to go get a frontline ace type, not that there's really any of them on the market right now. They can go get some depth starters who can eat innings, and that's probably all they need. So 
I, I do think for the Rays on the pitching side, the Brewers on the offense side, these are two teams that have prospect depth, that have solid farm systems, that have very clear needs. They generally tend to be quieter at the deadline. Um, the Brewers, of course, famously being three games up in first place last year, torpedoing their own chances and trading Josh Hader beyond prematurely. Um, I find it funny the front office still tries to rationalize it. No, you made a mistake. You messed up. Own it. Be accountable and learn from it. Um, I think for me, seeing if these two teams can can be a little more aggressive and say, hey, we have a shot to do something here. Let's pull the trigger. That's going to be another storyline of this deadline. Um, given their histories, I think you probably expect them to play it a little more conservatively. But they have the prospects to potentially outbid some other teams and swoop in and, and get, as we've talked about, some of the limited players available, given the lack of clear sellers. Um, they have the weapons to do it. So I'll be curious to see if they actually are willing to be that aggressive and pull the trigger. The, the thing I'll say with both of them, but especially the, I, I, with the Rays, the way I would always describe it is, is they're willing, they're always willing to be aggressive. I mean, you look at their team and trading Willie Adamas for Drew Rasmussen a couple of years ago, two months before the deadline, trading your starting shortstop is aggressive, right? They're willing to be aggressive. The thing that they will not do, even if they are, if their pitching staff, if their starting pitching staff is consist of, uh, you know, three, uh, you know, three waiver pickups this week, you know, because of injuries, they're not going to overpay. They are a team that absolutely looks at, here's how we value your player. Here's how we value the player you're asking for. And they're always looking at now and at the long term as well. And they're not going to be a team that says we're going to sacrifice the long term for this year. And to their credit, that's really worked well for them overall from the standpoint of this is a team that is a consistent playoff team year after year after year with one of the lowest payrolls in, in baseball. That's how they've done it. But at the same time, it does mean like it would not stun me. It would not stun me at all if the Rays made a massive move and added, you know, a, a front line, you know, like a, a guy here, like, no, that guy could start for them in the playoffs next, you know, in the postseason if the right moves out there. It also wouldn't stun me if we got to next Wednesday and you said, oh, they added a guy who's a platoon bat and they added a couple of guys to the pen. And that's what they did because I do think that they very much will look at it. Now, the one thing I'll say about their farm system is it's still good. Junior Caminero's breakout season is great to have any, any to have a thing like that in your farm system. That said, it is not like as deep and it's not as deep in like, Oh, that's a guy that everyone's going to want type prospects as it was a couple of years ago. Um, and so I, I think that they are a team that still has a lot of prospects. It's like, okay, that would this be the right fit for someone? Right. I think, I mean, to just cite a couple who are top 100 prospects, I think Kyle Manzardo is a guy who, you know, they could trade him, even though he's in AAA, even though he had a breakout year last year. But they, they do have Yandy Diaz at first base. They do have, between Kyle Manzardo and Curtis Mead only, and, and Jonathan Aranda, they have three guys in AAA whose best position defensively is probably first base. 
you're not going to play all of them at first base and you're not going to play all these guys all around the infield either with the infielders they already have in the big leagues. There are moves to be made there. Now the question is, is okay, do they find that right fit? That same question though, like Kyle, you mentioned it, like the Brewers also do have the prospects, you know, to make some moves. But that said, they're also a team that is generally more creative than they are. We're going to go out and make a giant splash. Usually the big player they add is generally, I feel like more of like, oh, that was a really astute pickup they made and they helped get this guy better. I think one of the things too, that's going to be interesting dynamic determining what these two do is how they've played recently. You know, the Rays, you look at their record, a lot of it is their hot start. They started the year 30 and nine. Since then, they're 32 and 34. This is a below 500 team over the past two months. And a lot of that is injury-based. Um, but you talked about it in July. They're 5 and 15 this month. This is a team where there is a little bit of, okay, they got to this hot start. Obviously, they weren't going to sustain that pace. You know, Now they're, they're a below 500 team for the better part of, of two, two and a half months now. How much of it's real, how much of it isn't, it's hard to aggressively buy for a team that's in a little bit of a tailspin. The Brewers, on the other hand, for all their shortcomings, in part because they have a great pitching staff, they're hot right now. They're 14-7 and seven in July. They had a winning record in June. Uh, they were great in April. They've really only had and, one bad month in May. I mean, they've, they're playing good baseball in a very, very winnable division. So I and, and also, they've got a fairly soft schedule coming up. They've got three games against the Braves this week, and that's tough. But then they get the Nationals, the Pirates, the Rockies, and the White Sox over the next four series. They have a chance to rack up some wins probably even if they don't add anybody, but adding someone will certainly help them get through the season. And more importantly, thinking bigger picture once they get to the postseason. I think for me, the brewers of the team, I'm actually looking at as, okay, you guys have a little more payroll room than the Rays do. You're playing well right now. You're in an easier division to manage. Let's see how aggressive you're willing to be. Again, they're not trading Jackson Cheerio. We know that, but they have some good position players below him. They have some really good young international players. We saw them trade one yesterday to go get Carlos Santana, help them out of bat there. They need more, to be clear, but it's a good start. I do think that they're one of those teams that, depending on how aggressive they are, you know, they could really kind of jump in and, and make a bigger trade deadline splash than people are necessarily thinking. I think everyone, naturally, you look at the Dodgers, look at the Orioles, the Rangers fall into this as well. The Brewers have a chance to to really go bring in some of the better bats in this at this deadline and significantly bolster their chances of finishing out the year strong and getting to the postseason, but they have to be willing to pull that trigger and be that aggressive. The other thing I'd say for them that they have a little easier path this way than the Rays do, which is the biggest thing they need is just offense. And I say just offense, but, but we've seen over the... I, as far as the cost of to add you cited a minute ago, those, those, that 2021, that 21 Braves team, right? Yeah. The great thing for that Braves team is what did they need? Oh, we just need a completely new outfield. Acuna's hurt. We need a whole new outfield. Jorge Soler, Eddie Rosario, Adam Duvall, um, Jock uh, Peterson. one other Jock Peterson, Jock Peterson. They went out and got four outfielders. And the grand total of that cost in prospects was like what you find in the pockets of your pants, right? It was like, oh, I got some change here. 
if anyone still has change in 2023, yeah, I can go get that. Now, I'm not going to say it's that easy for the Brewers, but you saw it with Carlos Santana, right? If you're saying I'm looking for a veteran hitter, not a top tier hitter, but a guy who can help us and is not going to provide a whole lot of defensive value at a corner outfield spot, at a corner infield spot, those guys are almost always available at reasonable price. If you say, I need a starting pitcher, yeah, that's where the cost gets way, way higher, which is a nice segue to, I think, the last team that we really want to cover, which is, you mentioned the Rangers. I look at the Rangers, and I do feel like that they're also in a very good position here because everyone could improve. But that said, they're not looking, they're sure not looking for up the middle guys. They're good literally everywhere up the middle, right? And especially in the middle infield. They're kind of, they actually have a, an excess almost. They're not looking for, hey, who's going to front our rotation, even with DeGrom's injury. Like they're still looking at that and saying, we're we're looking for more, like they would take a guy if they could, if that guy was available. But I do look at it and say, they're just looking more to improve a team that's already pretty good. And I do feel like they have definitely enough prospect talent to do that if, if need be. Yeah, the Rangers need bullpen help. I mean, that's the one thing they need more than anything else. The rotation is fine, although it never hurts to add starting pitching depth to get through a long season. This offense is an absolute juggernaut. It's the highest scoring offense in baseball, one through nine. They're just vicious and difficult to deal with. But the bullpen is, is a problem spot. And we saw them be aggressive earlier. They went out, they acquired a Roldis Chapman at the start of this month, um, which again was was you know a smart move for them. But you know, even with that, as we sit here today, in terms of you know, bullpen ERA, they're 27th out of 30 teams in the majors, ahead of, ahead of only the Royals, Nationals, and A's, three of the worst teams in baseball. They're tied with the Rockies. Just think about that. The Rockies who pitch in elevation have the same bullpen ERA that the Rangers do. But as we have seen over and over, you can get impact bullpen help for very, very little. And you think back to, you mentioned that Braves in 2021. I'll go back even further to the Braves in 2019, where that bullpen was a disaster. That was a dumpster fire of dumpster fires. What do they do at the deadline? They get Chris Martin. They get Shane Green. They get Will Smith. They brought in three high leverage closer type relievers for very, very, very little. Excuse me. Uh, not Will Smith. I'm sorry. Mark Melanson was the other guy they brought in that year. Um, and also the guys that gave up, none of them really came back to hurt them. I think the Rangers have you ready to do something similar. The guys they gave up, Colby Allard, Tristan Beck, Dan Winkler, Joey Wentz, Travis DeBarrett did not hurt them in any way, shape or form. And that's the thing. Usually with these bullpen deals is you're trading a third tier prospect. You're trading a prospect who it's like, who often you're already looking at it and saying, well, he's going to be rule five eligible at the end of the year. Are we going to add him to our 40 or are we not? We're probably not. Hey, can you trade him for this bullpen guy? Because expiring contract relievers are the inexpensive moves of the, of the deadline. Are, am I right? Like that's the players where it's like the, you can always find those. You go to that example. I'll go to an angels example. 2013, 2014, you probably 14. will remember better than this. Houston 14. Street. 2014, 
The Angels started the year with a bullpen that could best be described as newspaper coated in lighter fluid in a sparking garage. As you know, that was their bullpen, right? They also had one of the worst farm systems that it was possible to have. We came in, I believe they were 30th in our farm system rankings. And then they went out and they added Houston Street and multiple other relievers fixed their bullpen. And again, when you say, what did they give up in? Yep. And you say, what else did they give up in that? And it's like, not much. Because if you're out of it, you'll take almost anything to get $4 million, $2 million, $8 million, whatever it is, off of your payroll for the rest of the year. You're not getting compensation for that guy. You're not going to get, you know, offer, you know, uh, a tender where you're going to get a pick. It's like, well, you're taking them off our books and give us something back so that we can say to our, now, admittedly, the, it sometimes doesn't work. Josh Fields for Jordan Alvarez, you know, like that, that, right. That's, that's the, the example, the, uh, you know, the, the alternative that proves it, but generally it does happen that you can always add, especially bullpen depth. If you're not looking to add a closer, if you're just looking to make your bullpen deeper, go out and do that because every team can use that at the deadline. If you're in contention. No question. And that kind of leads me into, you know, we talk about how aggressive some of these sellers are going to be. I look at the Cardinals, what they end up doing with Jordan Hicks reports are they aren't able to come to an extension agreement and he's now on the trade block. You look at a Ryan Helsley. Those are two potential impact relievers. The Rangers have the prospects to go get those guys. So I think that to me is going to be the really, really interesting potential pairing right there. The Cardinals with the Rangers, because, you know, the Yankees are reportedly looking for bullpen help too. The Yankees can't come close to matching what the Rangers can in terms of prospect costs. You mentioned, you know, relief help often, not always, but often does not cost very much. The Rangers can beat almost any offer that another team puts on the table. They have the farm system depth to do it, both pitchers and position players. The other team involved here is the Mets and what they do with how aggressive they are in terms of their sell-off because we've already seen them trade Eduardo Escobar and David Robertson. If they decide to move Justin Verlander, if they decide to move Max Scherzer and Max Scherzer is willing to waive his no trade clause, you know, those are big, big, big additions potentially for a team. Now, Max Scherzer has struggled this year. His slider is not breaking at all. It is hanging up there. It is getting crushed almost every game. It feels like there's, oh, there's a hanging slider that was hit 400 feet for a home run. Um, But Justin Verlander has been better recently. and, And these guys still have something to offer, even if they're not the aces of their prime. You look around, they're probably still better than a lot of number three and four starters out there. I feel very safe saying Justin Verlander, as he's been really good recently. I think people haven't been paying as much attention because the Mets have just fallen off. If the Mets make those two guys truly available to be moved in a trade, that's going to be a pretty significant deadline development. And I think those are the kind of guys who can materially alter a team's fortune, whoever acquires them. I will quibble with you one thing. If the Yankees want to be aggressive, I'm not saying that the Rangers couldn't beat them out in the deal. If they're willing to include a Duran who's in the big leagues already or an Evan Carter or someone like that. 
But that said, normally those are not the guys, again, unless it's a blockbuster move, the guys who are traded. And I do think the Rangers and the Yankees otherwise kind of match up pretty similarly. Like if the Yankees are willing to trade a Chase Hampton or a Jason Dominguez or a Spencer Jones, those guys fit pretty similarly to me with the Rangers guys, you know, like the Rangers have kind of their own versions of that, which I would say is, is like, okay, like, look, I love Sebastian Walcott. And if you said that they're going to, I don't know if they would include Sebastian Walcott in a trade, but that's like a really interesting piece. But you, you kind of, you know, uh, uh, Luis Angel Acuna, uh, no one white, but those are not that much different than the guys that, and Austin Wells, like both of those teams have kind of that second half of the top hundred to just off the top hundred type guy. The difference that the Rangers have, if they wanted to include it is they've got that, an Evan Carter or a Duran who's already in the big leagues, or again, I don't think Josh Smith is in that same category, but a they have guys who are already big leaguers. I mean, it would be kind of crazy like that. We're talking about guys who used to be speaking of trades. They were, they were Yankees prospects who were traded, uh, you know, in a get deal that I think the Yankees would probably wish to have over now, but um, Trevor, Trevor, but I do Hall. think they were, you know, get all, get all the, you Yankees. Know, yeah, but no, and, yeah, exactly. And that's but, where um, it's, it's the yeah, idea yeah. that we just have the ability to go higher because they have those guys. And I think the lower, lower levels too, they have some really interesting guys at, at low A and, and the complex leagues that just based on my reporting, talking to scouts do seem better than the group the Yankees have. So I agree the middle tier is similar, but I think the Yankees, the red, the Rangers are better at the high end and they're also better at the low end of the minors, in my opinion. Yeah. I, again, well, it'll be interesting to see, but again, I, I think a lot of that also does come down to the aggression uh, that either team. And the other part of this is, is that, I will be interested to see what the Yankees, because we haven't covered them that much, is are the Yankees, I feel like that the Yankees are kind of more focused in in some ways on payroll than they are on, because they could sweeten, like they could improve their team by being willing to take on payroll because they are the Yankees. But I don't know if they're, they're going to be willing to do so, which also would offer some creativity as well. But yeah, we'll, we'll see Sox, with that. I mean, the Yankees and Red Sox both, you know, as much as their seasons have been disappointments, the Red Sox were a game and a half out of a wild card spot. The Yankees are two and a half games out of a wild card spot. They're in it, um, but these are some deeply flawed teams. The Red Sox defense is a disaster and their starting pitching isn't very good. And the Yankees offense is just not a good offense without Aaron Judge. You look at these rosters and say, are these rosters worth going all in for? I would say no from the outside looking in, but it's not my opinion that counts. It's the front office's opinion that counts. And if they decide the answer is yes, they certainly have the financial resources to take on payroll. And when you do that, you don't have to give up as good of prospects. And then you can start talking about, well, maybe we can't match the prospects that an Orioles can offer or a Rays can offer, but we can take on payroll. And for certain sellers, that will be every bit as attractive. So I think that's where if you're the Yankees and Red Sox, if you're willing to do that, yeah, you absolutely have a chance to really acquire some good players. But again, given how both teams have operated financially recently, it's weird to say you're skeptical of the Yankees and Red Sox being willing to add payroll, but everything they've done over the last year, year plus, has indicated those are real concerns for them and they have more limitations than maybe they would have in a previous era. 
funny thing is, this, I will say, considering where we thought the Red Sox were in November, December, January of the offseason, I actually look at this team and say they've been better. Like, I think that this is a team that could kind of do a little bit of both, right? Because, like, an Adam Duvall could have value. Speaking of a guy who gets traded, I feel like almost every deadline, uh, but an Adam <laughs> Duvall could have value for them. Trade him because they do have a young outfit that they, they do have young outfielders to kind of hand over like, okay, Jaron Duran, that's, you know, you're just going to be our center fielder and things like that. But they also could then add starting pitching at the same time and say, you know what, we're going to add a couple of guys to the rotation or add a guy to the rotation and the pen, you know, things like that, where they could be like this guy we're moving because of roster flexibility. Cause we're, but I do feel like when I look at it, it's like, the way Yoshida's played this year, the way Duran's played, the way Tristan Cassis has played, the way Brian Bello has played, to their credit, this is a better team than I thought they were going to be coming into the year. The fact that they are legitimately, like we talk about, well, if you're above 500, you got a chance. This is a team that that's sitting here right now, you know, at well above 500, eight games above 500. Those are teams, like this is a team that for a, consolidation year in some ways for a year where they watched Xander Bogarts leave and it felt like that they weren't doing a whole lot in the off season. They do feel like they're in better shape. And by the way, on top of that, they also have a pretty good farm system right now with the development of Roman Anthony this year to go with a Marcelo Meyer to go with, again, this is a team that a little more sprightly than I thought they would be coming into the year. I, I guess this is the way I put it, but before we wrap up, cause there any team we haven't covered, that you would be interested, like, hey, you know, we got to keep an eye out for this. Hmm. I think we look at the Astros a little bit. Um, this is a team that that needs some starting pitching help, but they're getting hot. They're chasing down the Rangers. They're only two games back now in the West. And look, the Astros are the big dog in the American League. They've represented the AL in four of the last six World Series. They're the defending World Series champions. The American League is theirs until someone takes it from them. And They've been playing better recently. They have some clear needs. Again, we didn't think starting pitching would be a need for them, but just the way injuries have hit and how the season's played out, it has turned out that way. I'll be curious to see how aggressive they are. Again, they tend to – they've made some huge dead-by moves in the past. Don't get me wrong. Um, yeah, it's, they're going to be a fascinating one for me. And, and I will finish up with the Red Sox and say their offense being good is – I do think that isn't totally a surprise – but they need pitching help. And, and that's where you look at, okay, you know, Chris Sale's on the IL, Corey Kluber's on the IL, Garrett Whitlock's on the IL, Tanner Houck's on the IL. And I think the Kike Hernandez trade, you talk about Adam Duvall kind of deal, is, is sort of what the, the needle would be that they thread, where, yes, they traded a veteran Kike Hernandez, but the guys they got back, you know, could help them. Nick Robertson made his big league debut this year, should be able to help their big league bullpen shortly. You know, Justin Hagenman is not really a great prospect, but he's in AAA. He handles righties. He can go multiple innings. Like he's close. It wouldn't be a shock to see him get a shot this year. So doing something like that, where you talk about kind of that line of buying and selling and technically, yes, you're selling a big leader for prospects, but the prospects you're getting are guys who can help you now, as opposed to a low level DSL player. I think that is a good track for the Red Sox to take and, and potentially the Yankees as well. Although again, they, you know, we'll see what they're, what, what they want to do payroll wise. Um, but I would watch the Astros here again. They're they're the other team here that I feel like gets forgotten about a lot. 
but they shouldn't be because as we've talked about, they are the Kings of the American league and it's theirs to lose above anyone else's. I I'll really quickly. I, I think there are a couple of teams like uh, we look at, we, we talked about the AL central a little bit, but I, I do think that the guardians are absolutely a team. The twins also are both teams that they're flawed enough that I, I, I feel like that uh, there are moves to be made that could make them better at, relatively low cost. Um, and I mean that from the standpoint of, I don't see either of these teams going out and adding a Verlander, uh, for example, I, I don't see that <laughs> happening, but at the same time, I do look at both these teams and say, they don't have to make massive moves to improve, you know, to improve themselves. You look at the, the guardians and they've gotten a little bit better at the plate, but like, then again, they've had more starting pitching injuries than, than normal for them. But I still look at them and say like, okay, and if they just added another bat, I, I think that that could be really useful for them. You look at uh, maybe a right-handed bat for the twins, maybe another, you know, uh, another arm to help their pen, which has been a little bit thin at, at times this year. But again, both of these teams are teams that are right in the thick of it. So I did want to make sure that we, we covered them as well. We went through a lot in over an hour here. We hope you enjoyed it. I, again, we, we recorded this on Friday because we wanted to give you something to listen to before it really heats up uh, this weekend, and especially going into next Monday and Tuesday. So for that, for Kyle, I'm JJ. So long, everybody.